Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And now that heart is beating fast And that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to That one big heart that's beating fast Tomorrow morning let it rain Tomorrow morning let it pour Tonight we're in the groove together Ain't gonna worry about Stormy weather Gonna kick old trouble Out the door Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR Streaming live on 3cr.org.au don't despair if nature calls during the program, Asia knocks on the door, you, you're raided, the program is podcast. With us, we have Her Right Royal Highness, Empress Dale Bridge. How art thou, Empress? I'm very good. How are you, Joe? I haven't seen you this well for a while. I, I don't think winter agrees with you. Oh, winter agrees with me very well. Does it? Yeah, yeah. just hibernate like a bear. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> no, you, look, you look exceptionally healthy today. Uh, well, don't yeah. let it fool you. <laughs> now, this, this, this is a call. We won't use the word gentleman because you know what the word gentleman means. Too many, too loaded. We are, the word gentleman is a human being who doesn't need to work or get their hands dirty to make a living. <laughs> That's the traditional meaning they actually. Yeah, well, you're not a gentleman, Mr. <laughs> Cole McNaughton. You are not a gentleman. Now, put me out of my bloody misery. How do you pronounce your first name? Colum, as in the Irish pronunciation. Colum. Yeah. Colum. Yep. And I'm not that precious, so I don't really care. Well, I, I get do. called all sorts of things. So, <laughs> well, we won't. Some of them not so flattering. We will not call you unflattering things on this program because you're bigger than me, and you could beat <laughs> me up. Right, I do understand physical aggression. <laughs> now, Colm, what year were you born? Just to orientate our listeners. 1971. You're kidding. What do you mean I'm kidding? <laughs> you're, just, you're, just, you're just a youngster. 1971. Yes, the spring chicken. Spring it was chicken a long spring. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, more, more like a uh, rooster, spring rooster. Now, going back, and look, you were going to tell me about all this stuff you did, but I'm not interested in that at the minute. All okay. I'm interested in is your first memory. What's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Wow, that's a good one. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's live radio too. It's not pre-recorded, so I'll fill in the t- I'll fill in the time while you're thinking. Now, Dave, have you got the tax lotto numbers for today? While while Colin's thinking, no, no. What do you reckon? Okay, so when I try and think, often what happens is family photos, but mm. they're not real. They're sort of memories and discussions that we've had about when I was little. Mm. So let's say the first memory I can have was probably I don't know the one that I remember is five or six and going to school and not really wanting to be separated from my mum mm. and my mum backing the car out and running over my foot. Hey, I love it. <laughs> I remember that. It was sort of got me. Well, you know, a lot of kids get killed, so they didn't have rear vision <laughs> but cameras. But I was, I was in those having days. that separation anxiety that kids yeah, have. They're yeah. like, oh, this school thing's way too much for me. I'd rather yeah, just hang out yeah, with you and yeah, I give them yeah. a bit more time. So <laughs> that that was one of my first memories. So how many tires ran over your foot? I oh, was only one. It was only it was one. nothing. But I love to carry on because when you're five, you, you love carry on. It didn't hurt really. It was just more. I want so another she, reason she, for her not to take me home did, and not get school. She didn't actually run over your foot. You pretend that she ran well, over your foot. Come on, tell us the foot, truth. If you think of it, the, the, it's not actually a big thing, the car running over your toe. You not mean, if you're six. It's no, not very it's, it sort of just no, nips no. it, but you sort of have another reason yeah, to whinge yeah, a bit more yeah, and yeah. harder. Yeah, I remember. Oh, I, sorry, Dale. You sorry, say? I just milk it. Yeah, milk for it, all yeah. it's worth. Come on, take me home. I don't want to be yeah, here. Yeah, I hate yeah, this well, school thing. It is interesting about kids being run over because I remember what I... Well, the toe, anyway. Yeah. One of my first patients, I think it was in 2000, no, 2000, no, I think 1976 when I graduated. I was at Redcliffe Hospital and being the junior intern, there was only two of us in casualty, and this man comes running in with this little four-year-old in his arms and he says, help me, help me. He's running through cares. And we said, what's wrong, what's wrong? He said, I've just run over my kid with a truck. And we thought, Christ, we thought, what are we going to do? You know, we've just come out of medical school. So we had a look at him. He was perfectly all right. Mm. I couldn't believe it. 
So you must be very elastic as a little kid. Well, you, you yeah. bounce, you bounce better <laughs> when you're six than when you're. You must have had a memory before you were six. Well, on. I do, Come but on. it's all a bit. Well, just, just. Okay, another one, another one I remember yeah. is actually having, uh, being bitten, getting, you know, bull ants? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And having bull ants, suddenly finding a whole lot of bull ants in my pants <gasps> and having to rip them off and getting all these bull ant bites oh. and just freaking out, living in um, southern Dandenong and just sort of going, wow, that was intense. Like getting, you know, you, ha- you have two or three bull ants and they just keep biting you, yeah, and ripping yeah. your pants off oh. quick as you can. Yeah, running around. So I don't know yeah. how they got up my trousers, but anyway, they did and yeah, I wasn't were, very happy about it. You were playing with the bull ants' nest, mostly. Well, yeah, I was annoying the putting, bull sticks, nest. putting sticks down the nest. No, I, I had brothers and sisters I was a bit of a, helped them. I was yeah. a bit of a biologist. I was interested yeah. in, oh, nature. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rather than hurting them, I was much more nature boy. Uh, are your parents still alive? Uh, no, my dad's been dead 17, 18 years. My mum is. Right. So where'd your dad come from? Uh, County Antrim, Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. So well, that's that's right on. Is that all right on the border with? Yeah, it's on. It's up the top. It's in the county with Belfast in it. So it's right. just north of Belfast. Fast, so just right. sort of, if you will, near Ballycastle. So it's on the yeah. Antrim coast. Yeah. And what type of father was he like? You <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't have to tell us the nitty gritty. We don't well, want to hear about the beatings. All right. Well, but, uh, well it's. Let's put it this way. He comes from a very hard culture that's yeah. been colonised, and yeah. I think you can guess the, the rest of it, I and it's all true. It, yeah. <laughs> so it's you a very... Do it my way or no way. Well, yeah, but also, you know, he would left home at 14, joined yeah. the Merchant Navy, so yeah. had a very hard life, yeah. and, you know, he sort of died young as well, was a right. building worker. Right. So yeah. it was difficult. And, he, you know, coming from that... I mean, he, there wasn't a civil war when he was growing up, but there, there became one soon enough. So all the tensions were there, the poverty, the marginalisation of Catholics, mm. etc. So, you know, mm. that... Right. So pretty brutal. Yeah. And your mum, where'd she come from? Uh, Liverpool, England. Liverpool, right. And again, again the Irish connections there, because that's where, you know, escaping the Great Famine, the Great Hunger, whatever, that's mm. that and Glasgow were two of the places where the Irish necked off. Now, they often identified as English, which is sort of interesting, it's something we're learning over time, but actually, they did the Ancestry.com recently, they? and they're all Irish. They're all Irish, and both sides. Scandinavian. And Scandinavian. So <laughs> and, and, and you sort of go, there's no English? No English. <laughs> no English. But they identified as English. I think they were trying to sort of hide that, well, you know, Irish. Fine. But they were, they were from County Wexford, yeah. and they were Protestants, so they were trying to sort of like, oh, we don't need that crud. Yeah. It's just too painful. Let's pretend we're English. And they did. Yeah. So you got the same sort of dynamic from a different angle. Right. But, yeah, right. you just sort of go, oh, you didn't escape. Have you got any brothers and sisters? A, a sister, yeah. Right, younger or older? Younger. Younger. So what was it like living in South Dandenong with uh, a father who's got kind of got issues? Uh, yeah. You know, and uh, so, you know, he was a bit BL, was he? Yeah, well, he wasn't necessarily, he was a BL because yeah. he was in, you know, he had yeah. to be at that yeah. time. He had to be, yeah. But because he was doing the crane work and that was right. sort yeah. of central to the concrete pours, et cetera. Yeah. But certainly he was in that one. He came out of the Merchant Navy and got yeah. into uh, right. construction, yeah, you so, know, so, so. as a rigger. As a rigger. Yeah, yeah working yeah. the steel, whatever. Yeah. Did he talk much about work and what was going on? Or? Uh, not really. He wasn't a great communicator, let's say. He was right. better at drinking than communicating. Yeah, okay. well, he was following <laughs> a, a well-worn tradition, I well, think. Well, we know the stereotypes, and there's a reason they're stereotypes, because stereotypes. they're often quite... There's a lot of truth to them. It's right. like, you know, that's the painful thing about stereotypes. So you basically there's some learnt, truth to it. You learn to keep your tongue to yourself, or...? Oh... Uh, yeah, well, it was not so much tongue to yourself. It was just a, you know, that war zone was sort of everywhere. It wasn't right. just, you know. Because right. right. we also migrated to Northern Ireland when I was like six. Oh, hang on, this is so interesting. that's the juicy bits. So for two years we lived in Northern Ireland. Hang so on. you were six and you went back to Northern yes, Ireland. Yes, we're one of the few migrate, few families that migrated to Northern Ireland. So in 1977, at the beginning of the Troubles. At the beginning of the Troubles. Well, yeah, back. the Troubles were kicking in. The yeah. hunger strikes hadn't quite started, but we were yeah. sort of at that period there, so... You know, we had a whole set of experiences. Well, did your dad have to look after parents or something? Or he just no, he's, he, he felt so homesick. Right. And his whole mum thing going on. He mm. wanted to be near his mum. and But mm. then he got to Ireland and it was incredibly complicated and painful and, you know, working. You know, if you're working in the, whole, in the big shipyards there, there was a big white line where 900 Protestants sat and ate lunch, and there was a white line, and four Catholics would sit and eat lunch. Right. So I was like, "Oh shite!" And didn't, he didn't. He didn't enjoy it. Let's say. He enjoy and he'd go to the toilet, and little dudes would talk in his ear and tell him things are going to happen. It's like, yeah. "Oh, this isn't really for me. I can't. This is just a whole other scene." So, it's a war zone, so you know, this is what happens in war zones. <laughs> so, so, what did you do during those two years in the line? You went to school, well, I assume. Yeah. And, uh, what was that like? Tell well, us about that. 
you, you're good. <laughs> so by the age of eight, I was already sort of running gangs, okay. and I was one of the bad boys, and you know, what been, you arrest- been arrested. Mean, come on, running gangs. Well, we were doing yeah, shopping. The, the troubles. All right. Yeah. So we, I'd read Oliver Twist, and we had a gang called the Artful Dodgers. So right. we used to steal all our stuff yeah. and share it. So we were like a socialistic. That socialistic thing was really early yeah. in my life, yeah. but so was a lot of other stuff too. And this is where well, the you've violence. Got a, you've got a dilemma here, mate. This was a your mother's Protestant, your father's Catholic. Uh, so, 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 which type of gang did you? Well, we were the Catholic ones, but, yeah, the, right. but the point was my mum was marginalised. Right, because she married but even a Catholic. Though, even though she was Catholic yeah. background, yeah. Uh, in terms of she converted, yeah. but that wasn't enough because it's a sort of there's a even though there is to me anyway it's a, it's an anti-imperial struggle, mm. but that doesn't mean on the ground there isn't a whole lot of sectarian stuff going on. Mm. And let's be true, a lot of the Protestant guys, the Protestant guys set up the Republican movement in the north of Ireland, in, in Ireland, if you know the history, mm. he was Presbyterian ministers mm. who set the goddamn thing up. So you sort of go, it's complex, it's complicated, it's layered, and it's real, you know, it's got a whole lot of things mm. going on. So yeah, we slapped up in the middle of that lot. And so you see this artful dodger gang. So yeah. was, was it a mixed gang? Was it Protestant? And Catholic? No, no, just no? Catholic. Just Catholic. But it was. Were well, you going to a Catholic primary school? Yeah, right? Catholic right. primary school. It was, yeah. We were pretty much there was a big there was a British mm. garrison there, so there was yeah. a constant uh, armored cars and tanks going through. Mm. So we were constantly sort of surveilled. Sometimes the IRA would kill dudes in the in the village, mm. shoot police officers or whatever, and you know mm. things would be happening or there'd be movements or there'd be helicopters and whatever coming in and. I don't know, ASU unit, you know, active service unit doing something and, you know, the movement's on and there's stuff happening. How did that that affect you? Oh, obviously, well. (laughs) (laughs) No, obviously, a a big part of why I'm actually sitting here right now, I dare say, is that. Because, you know, you experience all these things about, you know, people sticking guns in your face or whatever. And for me... What, as an eight-year-old? Yeah, of course, because every time you sort of go anywhere, someone's mm. sticking a gun right. in your face. Yep, yep. You, you stop the car, so they stick the gun in your face, and you're like, oh, do you really have to do, do yeah, that? Especially as short as an eight-year-old, he's well, the point of the gun. Yeah, yeah. So, and that sort of, every time there'd be an armoured car going through, or a couple of armoured cars going mm. through, they'd be training machine guns on you or whatever. So, you know, they, mm. there was an intimidation going on. Mm despite the complexities of my mum being in uh, English Protestant background. But that's just a nicety rather than reality. Um, so, yeah, so that obviously framed and impacted heavily in terms of... Uh, so it's a Catholic school, I assume. Yes. And what oh, and the priests were sort of very pro-Republican, let's pro-Republican. say. And what were they like as teachers? Uh, well, again, they had these white lines. And these white lines where boys are on this side and girls are on that. So it was all very gender... Literally, the whole joint was split with these white lines which I didn't sort of, had never experienced before. Mm. So everything was, you know, girls on that side, boys on that side, and there was these white lines, and you couldn't cross them. Mm. It was very weird, mm. and places you could go. Mm. So everything was this, they had this love of white lines. <laughs> Everyone had it. It's like, oh, what's this goddamn thing? Did, did your mother start nagging your old man, saying we need to go back to Australia? Well, my mum was more into staying there. It was my dad that wanted to bugger off. Well, they hadn't bought a contract on him, had they? Well, he was working in the building industry, and... That, if for those that sort of know, that's often a way money is moved or you have to pay certain taxes or whatever. Mm. So doing any work was always very difficult. Mm. And if you're going to work on certain issues, oh, you can't work on long cash, you can't do this, you can't mm. do that. So, mm. you know, anything we're going to actually get a job is like, it's very complex. It's not just like we just go to work and come home again. No, nah, it's not like that. It's no. who's doing the job and whatever and who you're paying and what's this and what's that and who's getting the tax and you're like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And obviously I was little, I didn't know all that, but no. I know that now. It's yeah. like, okay, this is, what, so, this is the deal. So... Were the, your grandparents alive on both sides or just, uh, or just Yes, Anna? they were. Were they living in the, the same area before? Yes. Or, well, my grandfather on my mm. grandmother, grandfather on my dad's side were, and we were living with them. Right. So I'll tell you a little story there. So he, my grandfather's a storyteller. Right. That's what his is. So, you know, that ancient Irish tradition, which has been smashed at lots of levels. But when I was there, he was dying of liver problems. Surprise, surprise. I won't ask why. Well, you can guess. That's <laughs> um, exactly right. <laughs> Alcoholism. But, um, and so he was a storyteller. So he was a musical, like he'd turn up to the weddings and play music and tell stories. And that's what he did. And so when he was dying, literally the Gaelic Association came along and said, you know, you've got all these stories, tell them to us. Because, mm. we, you know, this stuff just dies with you. Mm. And he couldn't remember them. So I remember that as a little kid. He couldn't remember them. No, which is sort of... So I have this link with my grandfather, which is about my own storytelling, which we may get to later, mm. but about, you know, that broken storytelling tradition, which mm. is why I like Joyce and Heaney, mm. et cetera, because mm. of that, how they dealt with that, and Beckett, mm. even though Protestant, but how they dealt with that broken Irish storytelling tradition. Mm. So it's something I do sort of, and I can, I feel that in my sort of bones. 
So your dad outgrew his love for his mum, did he? And he decided well, to go back to Australia. I think he was like, this is just too painful. It's, right. it's the middle of a war and, yeah, you know. Yeah. So how did he tell you that you were going back? Did you just find yourself uh, at the aircraft? Or? No, it wasn't a democratic <laughs> decision. And, of course, going anywhere in Ireland at that time, there was always checks and da-da-da. Not quite what you see in Palestine, but certainly, yeah. you know, yeah. get out of the car, we're going to go through everything, we're going to yeah. rip it up. And if you had a certain plate from a certain thing, or they, they were just on the list of people to really harass, then you're going to be there for hours while they literally rip your car apart. Mm. So all this sort of caper. So doing anything was always quite painful <laughs> wherever you went. If you had anything to do with mm. pretty much anywhere, it was like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Did you realise you were going back to Australia? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we knew so we were going back. you were going back. So yeah. where would you fly back to? Back to Dandenong. Dandenong? What? You still had property there? Or well, what? no, but that was what we knew. We knew we, southern Dan, south, south Dandenong. We right. went to Endeavour Hills then, but, you know, yeah. whatever. Still around Dandenong, within right. two k's of Dandenong Market, whatever. Yeah. So it was just, that's what we knew. We knew that area, that part so of the world. re-rented down that way? Yeah. So, you don't sound okay, too excited? No, well, I don't know. Do you know many people that grew up in Dandenong? <laughs> well, I like Dandenong. Nothing wrong with Dandenong. It's all it's right. It's got its upside, but it's culturally a bit bereft, let's say. I'd rather, hang out, I'd rather hang out when with the Italians and the Greeks when, and when, the North Korea. When, when was the last time you were in Dandenong? Oh, I don't know, a few months ago. Oh, you must be blind. But we won't go down that part. So I assume, assume as a good Catholic boy, you went to a Catholic primary yeah, school in Dandenong? Yeah, oh, primary school, yeah. Uh, how yeah. about high school? What happened? No, then, then there was the whole aspiring working class wanting their kids to make it. Mm. I never went to school. We only went to school till we were 11 or 12, and you're going to go the way. So then private school. Private school? Yeah. Your dad found enough no, money for Not private? my dad, my mum. Oh, well, she my mum was like, no, was, was she working? Was she? Yeah, yeah. Well, she was, was like doing? totally adamant because she was actually, when she was eleven, she was pulled out of school and had to look after the kids because mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. had brothers and sisters. So she was like, well, that's one thing that's not going to happen. You're going to have education. I'm not going to treat boys and girls differently either. So you're going to have an education. So that was my mum's sort of major so priority in life. Halebury. Halebury. Yeah. What the one down at uh, down in Keysborough. Keysborough. Halebury. Yes. What what year was that? 83. Never what, from grade 7 or? Yeah, year 7, just high school. You did five years? Yeah, that was that, very That's an expensive undertaking. It's just very expensive. How about your sister? Where did she go? Uh, St. Margaret's. So, it means your mum was working full time just she was to, working keep, two jobs. to keep you two bastards yes. at school. Yes, my dad wasn't happy about it. Oh, he was I like, can imagine. He was I like, can imagine. He said, what are you working for? You know? They can go to state school. I don't give a shit. And it was, obviously it was expensive, but relative to now, when you look at the prices, you're like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. obviously it was probably well, relative well, well, to well, that well, then as you, well. Why did you send you to a, one of these poor church mice Catholic yeah, schools, well, you know? I think it wanted me to go to Mazinot, but we weren't in the area because that area, the Catholic schools weren't very good or something. There was, right. some, there was, there was no, a whole discussion no. with teachers when I was about 10 no. or 11. And, yeah, yeah. you know, if we don't keep him entertained or engaged, he's going to become a problem child, this one. Well, you're a gang so, leader at eight. Well, Let's not forget that. Yeah, so <laughs> I won't was, forget that. They were trying to sort of keep me entertained or somehow yeah. with education. So rather did, you than, the, did you go to right through to year 12? Yes. Oh, I nearly got expelled numerous times. And I other imagine, things. but you're a solid-looking... Young boy, I assume you were a, a good sportsman, were you? No, I wasn't. I what, was sort what's of wrong with you. I wasn't. I didn't really puberty and all that ha- happened later. What do you mean? Well, I was thirteen, fourteen, rather than yeah, lots but of that other people. No, until you're sixteen or seventeen at high school. Yeah, but then I got Yeah, but this sort, of, this sort of world was changing as well at that time. Like there was a what? What the nineteen eighties? Yeah, well, the late eighties. In the terms world was of changing. No, but in terms of um. Uh, there was this whole, how do I, I'm just trying to think of. Was it changing for you or the whole? No, just, well, I'm talking about for me, but I'm just yeah. in terms of, well, I suppose, let's put well, it this way. Well, it was the beginning it, of the old deregulation, uh, corporatisation well, revolution. And the, you know, and the, the rise Hawk and of Hawk and yeah, all those blah, blah, things. blah. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose also what happened was there was a few years where I was actually sort of attention, but then some things were happening in the, our family, let's say, right. that made school a bit less of a, not so much of a priority, but I wasn't sort of all right. there, let's right. say. So was your dad sick then? Because of While the, sick, he had a kidney transplant. There was other things going he on. He had a kidney for, transplant. Yeah, at 35. So, at 35? Yeah, so he was a bit of a mess. Let's so say. was he on dialysis before yes. that? How long was up here on Gertrude Street. How long was he on dialysis for? Five years or so. so it, is, it is a tough gig. He was sort of dying dialysis. at yeah, 30 or at so. 35, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. And, yeah, and what was the reason he had kidney failure? Was well, it, I it? think fighting and drinking and smoking. 
Well, drinking and smoking shouldn't or fighting unless he's being punched in the kidneys. Well, that, that's it. I think it's the part of the. What was he a professional fighter or just no, a no, brawler? No, sort of the uh, navy, yeah. navy rocking pub, into the yeah right, navy right. pub brawling sort of stuff. I mean, having your dad on dialysis, having to come here, he would have been like two, three times a week doing dialysis. Yeah, wasn't know, very happy, and then, and then waiting for a, for a kidney transplant yeah. obviously would put a really make it very difficult for your sister and yourself. Oh, yeah, well, and there's Especially, other things too. Yeah, so say, personal social breakdown, let's say. As yeah, well. but, but again, all the pressure's on your mum. She's trying to keep enough money to keep you yeah, in school. Yeah, exactly. Then, then he's not working. So school was sort of the priority, and that was mm. just the sort of weird focus, just to sort of stop us from, you know, exploding. Exploding. <laughs> so so how, how did you go at school? How did you go at year 12? Uh, I passed. You uh, passed. Yeah, I passed. I didn't necessarily go that well. I was able to get into uni. Right. But, um. Mm, that's all right. Yeah, yeah I was well, a sort of, I was, a, I was a BC student. I was never, yeah, well, you know. Look if you passed and you got to uni. So I got to uni. So I was pretty what happy you, just what, to get, like, would be. Your mother would be very proud of you. I was wrapped. I was wrapped. She'd be very proud of you that you made yeah. it after all these, because I know you're a kind of downplaying all the, uh, issues, family issues, but to have somebody on dialysis at 35 and then a kidney transplant and money being short supply, and it's, it, it is a very difficult gig, I can understand that. Yeah. So she must have been very proud of you that you got into uni. Oh, for certainly. Because she didn't, so for yeah. her it was very much, yeah. I'm going to live through my kids in some way, so mm. you know, like lots of parents do. Yeah, especially immigrants. Yeah. Because immigrants are basically sacri- sacrifices for their children, that's why they immigrate and leave their culture behind and... Exactly, so it's a big right. sacrifice, and so I'm the fruit of that sacrifice, mm. me and my sister are. Right, how did your sister go at school? Similar. Right, yeah. so she got to uni too? Yeah, she got to uni, and my mum was adamant the girls aren't going to be treated different than the boys, which is because cool. my dad had that sort of more old view, uh, girls are going to be there for babies and boys, let's focus on the boys, my mum was like, no, 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 yeah. we're not doing that, that's just mm. bullshit, I'm paying so I can do, I can do what I want. Right. So <laughs> what university did you go to? Monash. It's to be expected, wouldn't well, it? Well, down a, that way. A boy so. from Endeavour Hills, obviously. I wanted to. So, and what, what did you do? Arts. Arts. And did it's you? Not a surprise, really. No, no, it's not a surprise. <laughs> and did you finish the course? Yeah, I ended up. Well, after a six year, after getting thrown out in '92. Excuse me. I got expelled in '92. Like from Monash University. Yeah. For, how do you get how for failing? Oh, that's all right. I thought maybe it was something no, else. Nobody no, gets expelled no. from Monash. No, and then uh, I came back, and then I finished it, and did it, even did a PhD. PhD. Because so then I sort of grew uh, up and figured out a few things. I should call you Dr. Colin. If yeah. you so desire. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't use what, that what, very often. what was your PhD in? Uh, politics. No, no, it's more than politics. Okay. Come on, don't, don't bullshit. Come Marxism. on, tell us. Marxism. Marxism. What, what aspect of Okay, Marxism? so I was looking at the emancipatory imagination post the Zapatistas. So looking at Hegelian Marxist theory post the Zapatistas mm-hmm. in terms of what theory was happening or how, mm. they were, how people were reinventing the meaning of revolution mm. um, sort of post the Zapatista uprising. And, and what, what conclusion did you come to? I'm not going to get a job out of it. <laughs> no, I, I understand that. What conclusion did you come to in your uh, I came to the conclusion that... Uh, the left, like the religious traditions, uh, often, like for example, Marx and Engels, the main interpreter, often like Marx or Paul, if you want to take to Jesus, actually distorts incredibly what the actual original thinker was doing. And then, so when I came to the theory, what it was was okay. Uh, in terms of understanding revolution, we've the left has often understood well the needs for transformation and resistance, but what it's really lacking is a notion of healing. Mm. And that that has to be in there too. And I was doing that in the level of the imagination mm. and very much influenced by the thinking of Subcomandante Marcos and what the Zapatistas were doing in terms of... And I think that healing, not only in terms of human, but also in terms of nature, that eco-dynamic mm. and the, all the healing dimensions that we need. Because the idea that, oh, don't worry, and you heard this a lot probably over the years, don't worry, comrades, after the revolution. Nah, well, that's total, total rubbish total because most of us are quite imaged now. and damaged and, <laughs> and we need to start healing now. Yeah, but even to even see what happens anything. after the revolution, you get the gulags. Exactly. So this is the point. So that, that dynamic and mm-hmm. how the left had mirrored the religious traditions over thousands of years in terms of the, the mm-hmm. way it sort of twisted itself and, and yeah. its mistakes it made. Mm-hmm. And it's a human thing. So it's not a bad thing. It was more just, okay, so what, where do we go from here? So what, where were you getting information about the Zapatistas from? Um, Obviously, yeah. you've got a reference sheet about a reference sheet about five miles long in the yeah. PhD. Yeah, well, there's some of the great works by Subcomandante Marcos because right. they were translated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name How, from University of Texas who translated a lot of the stuff. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there were some great translations. Later, I started reading Spanish, but at the time, it was all translations. Mm-hmm. So, especially their work on how they 
let's say, create, helped create a global imaginary mm. in that sort of early 90s and then to do with the rise of the world social movements and then mm. and really liked what the, some of the ways they were. And again, these were really poor guys. Like, yep. you know, like most of us don't know that sort of southern the Condon jungle, southern Mexico type poverty, which is, you know, for after 500 years of conquest uh, and how they sort of use this notion of the internet and this notion of new forms of sociality and global sort of subjectivity to actually create a whole global sort of... And they're, they're foundational to the rise of Seattle, etc. Without the Zapatistas, that wouldn't happen, I would argue. Mm-hmm. And the Zapatistas really created the imaginary space to allow these other things to happen. Now, obviously, at one level, they aren't a guerrilla movement in the Marxist-Leninist sense of the word, but in terms of guerrilla theatre, they were masters. And, you know, in terms of capturing imagination or the zeitgeist of what was going on globally, mm. I mean, you know, Naomi Klein, like most of the people of my generation, Assange, just standing on the Zapatistas' shoulders. Mm. They were the ones that led the way. What's happened to them these days? Well, they're getting, you know, they've been the counterinsurgencies and ground down and murdered slowly and, mm. you know, a few massacres here and there. And, you know, after, basically it's about NAFTA and the drug war. Mm. So that's what I often, what later I went and mm. studied was, or not studied, but made documentaries in that part of the world. Well, let's just go back. So you've got your PhD, Doctor. Yeah. And uh, you're unemployable. Yes. Did you? Ever think about applying to ASIO? Because you, no. you, you'd have the... You, no, I mean, it's deadly serious. No. You've got, obviously, then the Muslim fundamentalists but, came on the... And you were... Better than ASIO. You know where I ended up? Where? Here. Here. <laughs> 3CR. 3CR, working no, doing the Stick no, Together no, program. No, no, That's what I did. I'm learning radio. All right, so how many years were you at university? <laughs> oh, too many. What's too many? <laughs> many, many, many. What's too many? Four and then six or seven. So, so 11 or something. Did you have any, any extracurricular activities while you were at university? As in, in terms t- of what? Well, you know, any... Political, social movement. That was the main thing I was doing the whole time. (laughs) That was was all I was doing. Well, you know, most of our listeners would never heard of you, so tell us about it. Of course not. Um, So, when I got to university, what we did, we helped set up a thing called the Monash Greens, which was an alliance between all different sort of left factions. And so, what happened was Operation Desert Storm happened. So, we Mm -hmm. were the ones that set up the. the camp at the front of the American Embassy at St Kilda Road right. there, and was no. we took over the air and all these people yeah. and buses turned up and then we had this sort of and it was sort of a peace movement because the peace movement was quite big especially when I was little say 11, 12, 13 the whole nuclear war and the idea that a few people on the planet can actually literally destroy everyone and everything I've always thought that had been an affront I've always thought <laughs> hold on that's just outrageous shot who, who thought that up <laughs> a couple of maniacs can just do whatever they like and of course now with Trump and Putin and whatever you just sort of sit there going it's wonderful it's like what the whole world is being beholden to these geezers and their five mates my god so how long did that last for Oh, a few years. So the peace movement, because of you know the first Gulf War, Operation Desert Storm, and there was quite a big peace movement that sort huge, of developed huge. out of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was a few years doing that and getting involved. And uh, we lived in uh, North Caulfield, right? So it was a Jewish area, mm. and so quite often we'd have we'd come home and you know someone's been playing with our light switches and turned it upside down, or we'd come mm. out and the police would arrest us and give us a body search as we left because the people in the area were very paranoid about you know peace activists and mm. because mm. of what was happening at the time, Saddam Hussein and Palestinians, etc. in terms mm. of Israel. So mm. being in that area, a student mm. house, oh, was, student we, was, we were sort of yeah. like all the, the locals in oh, the area were like paranoid far. as hell. <laughs> Who are these oh, geezers? Well, it's a bit far. <laughs> it's a bit far. And what other, what, what other student activities were you involved in during those 12 years? Uh, I, I, then I stopped getting involved in student stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I started, I, helped, I was one of the people that helped set up Earthworker. Earthworker. In 97 with um, right. Cam Walk, Anthony Amos, Dave Karen, and trying to build an alliance with the Green Movement, the Union Movement. Well, tell us the reason you helped set up Earthworker. Um, well, what I really was doing in my little imagination was trying to look at the Australian context and going, okay, we're obviously not going to create a Zapatista movement here because we don't have those conditions or people or that dynamic. So what would be the similar version of that in this country? And I was like, oh, the green bands and the whole Jack Mundy thing and right. building alliances and actually sort of doing what happened in the 1970s there. And I'm thinking, well, that's pretty bloody close. So I just happened to know some of these people and, mm-hmm. and I was part of, well... In terms of, mm, well, well, trade union connections. Well, trade union, but also um, the greenies, the peace movement, and the right. sort of yeah. environment sort of overlaps. And I can't mm-hmm. remember how I met people like Anthony and Cam. It's sort of all a blur. Yeah. So, so what, what so 25, 20 something years what was, ago. What was the whole purpose of forming Earthworker? 
Well, at the time, it was trying to build an alliance. Now it's sort of become a very much a cooperative thing about creating alternative industry, industries. Yeah. But at the time, because remember, this is in the 90s, mm. um, late 90s, 97, 98, uh, really on the cusp of sort of possibilities. Uh, at that time, if we were able to sort of pull off things like hemp industries, like in terms of trans- starting those transitions then, we'd be in a very different place now. Mm-hmm. But, of course, very powerful forces were like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. What and powerful so, forces? There's no powerful forces that would wouldn't <laughs> everybody welcome you, give you an order of Australia for oh, the yeah. wonderful things Earth Worker was doing? Of course they did. Didn't happen? No, it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Look, no. it's uh, 4.30 and... Um, Empress Dale Bridge, we have a guest, not just Callum McNaughton, we have another guest on my microphone here. It's either a baby scorpion or a little cricket. I haven't decided what, but uh, ha- in, in the nature of coexistence, I'm quite happy for it to uh, continue to watch us. So it, could, it could be an ASIO bug, <laughs> but that's all right. He's enjoying the conversation. He's enjoying the conversation. Yes. See, again, you're a green man. And One of the many you've brought. It's not often. I, I've, been at this, I've been here in this studio for over 40 years nearly 40 years, and I've never seen an insect in here, apart from oh. the people I'd interview. But <laughs> yes, very Kafkaesque. But this is Kafkaesque. I think, I think it's come to listen to you. Huh? Yeah. All right. Okay, it's 4.30. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. We're giving... Um, com. I don't like com. Colin. Yeah, but I don't like Colin. It's Colum. Colum. Yeah. Like as in film or film. Yeah, Colum. <laughs> Colum, not Colum. Colum. Yeah, he's an bit, Irishman. Colum. It's a bit weird, but anyway. Colum, McNaughton. Like I said, I'm not precious because people mangle it in all sorts of ways. Mm. So I don't really care. How old were you? 97. You'd have been 28. Yeah, on the verge. Yeah, 26, Ver- 27. Yeah. yeah, verge of a real life. Yeah, on the I haven't, verge I haven't heard. I haven't heard anything about a real job yet. What's, what's going real on? Real job. Now? I was working part time in the building industry. Doing what? Uh, construction. Like a lot dad. of labouring, yeah. You weren't doing the same amount of drinking as your dad. No, 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 no. I actually didn't drink ever until he died. Right. So I never had one drink until I was 28 when he died. So right. then I drank. Right. But, yeah. So that's that's anyway. interesting. So I think on, the, on that day I started growing my hair, got a car licence, watched TV, drank and stopped being vegetarian all in one day. But you got a car licence. Well, I never had one of them either. Why didn't you have a car licence? Well, I don't know. I was, I was a maniac. I think I stole a couple of cars when I was in my late teens and I right, thought, right. Oh, I don't know if the, co- the world really needs me driving a car because <laughs> right. I'm not really the very sane fellow. So yeah. I could figure out that I wasn't really ready for that yet. Adult yeah. responsibilities. Right, I was a bit right. too much of a lunatic. So driving up the freeway 160 k's an hour and stolen car. When your dad died. Well, and then I changed my name from Colin to Colum because uh-huh. I actually have his name and Colum. Yeah, and Colin, uh, as in. So I, Colin's on your birth certificate. Yeah, well now not anymore, but uh, that's his name. But it's really hard to live with someone, someone you know your father's name and you've got his whole name. It's just yeah. too much of a heavy thing. It's like yeah. I need a yeah. bit of space. And even though I didn't change my name, I just translated it. Uh-huh. But it just gives me a bit of ah, that's me there, great. great. But that was after he died. Yeah, um, yeah, after he died, I went to Glen Colum Keel in Donegal and changed it there, which is where the name comes from, Saint Columba. How did you change it there? Well, that was where I... Because I went to the root of the name, St. Columba, 6th century Catholic Catholic or Christian monk, and I realised that's where my name root was, and I went to that place to actually realise... What was that like? That's great. Tell us what what you felt. Um... You've got to remember, this is is not going to be an easy interview. No, so... (laughs) Obviously, part. Oh, well, you, you made you you made the effort to go back. Is this the first time you've been nah, back? The I second time, or you, go, you keep going all the time? time. Uh, not all the time now, but I did but for a while when I was young because very much my psyche was very much in Ireland. I was very sort of caught by that. Right. So I had to sort of deal or work with some stuff, work some stuff through. Like my vivid dream life was often Irish still, right. so I had to work with that. Right. Do you speak Gaelic? No, sadly no. Well, you should. After all that effort, should do made. lots of things, but yeah, I don't speak any second languages. Actually, I, sp- I sort of do doggerel Spanish and bad Italian and dodgy. You know, yeah, <laughs> I can do uh, a smattering of lots of dodgy. Well, things. you got you got a pretty passable <laughs> Australian. Yeah, <laughs> I can speak yob. It's not too bad at all. I've been on a building site. You'd need yes. to be able to speak yob. I can but, speak yob. But this this interests me because this is something that a lot of migrants, my parents were migrants. You get this yearning as a child of a migrant that you want to go back. Yeah. I don't know why, but you just get this yearning. The older you get, I haven't been back, but I'm nearly 66, and I get, I'm getting this yearning. I don't know if I want, to, I want to follow it. Now, you obviously did it as a young man. Yeah. So what made you go back to that very spot that you know your name came from? Ooh. I was trying to find something about myself. Did you find anything there? Yeah. 
Um, I don't know if you've ever been to Donegal, but it's not a no, place where you'd I've say... I've never been to Ireland. It's not a place I've uh, really wanted to go to. It's not to. a place where you'd say there's lots of trees. Right. Because you've got to understand, it bloody blows a gale. Mm-hmm. It's like literally, it's the sort of... You know, you get little hedges sort of things, yeah, but yeah. It, the wind is insane, and the, obviously, and this is in summer, of course, right. and the sleeting rain, and the, you know, yeah, and this right. is the summer bit. Yeah, and you're yeah. going, like, winter, I don't think I'll give it a wide berth. So did you go by yourself, or did you go with uh, somebody no, else? No, I went by myself. You went by yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, did you drive, walk? Did no, hitchhiked. Hitchhiked. Hitchhiked hitchhiked around. And, and you'd done much research on where you were going? Oh, yeah, and I had some contacts, in, and I was going into the north, into, you know, Belfast and Derry and whatever, and also mm. go sometimes to... Dublin as well. It was sort mm. of like it was a pilgrimage. Yes, it is a there pilgrimage. You go. It was an inner pilgrimage. That's what I'm saying. It was and a it was, pilgrimage. You do, a, you do it for a reason. So here we go. I'll I'll, I'll share with you, seeing you being such a good psychoanalyst. So what happened was I was born on my dad's 25th birthday after my first brother died. Right. Your so first brother died. Yes, he died. Like he what? was just. No, there was no reason. The doctor came in and told my mum, "Look, I'm never going to say this in a court of law, but you did nothing wrong. The doctor's mal. The doctor's fucked up." Right. And since she was like, oh. so, so she didn't feel bad about she did something wrong. And the little kid died. He was through two or three days, whatever. But there was no yeah. reason he should have died. It was some doctor problem. Right. So anyway, so there's a deep grief. But I was born on my dad's 25th birthday, mm. which is the bit I didn't tell you before. And I've mm. got his exact name. Mm. So And, you know, we didn't always have, see eye to eye on the world. And right. he was quite a hard man. Mm. And so when he died, I needed some psychic space. So I was trying to figure out who I am. Who I am. And like you pointed out very well, you're very close to being um, 28. Saturn Returns. And I thought, oh, Saturn Returns, that's all bullshit. I know all about that. I've had to do this and do that. And no, nah, it's not actually wrong at all. I remember Anthony Amos said to me, nah, Saturn Returns, man. Watch out what happens then. Whoa, it's going to... And so this all happened This all happened in the Saturn Return. So I was like, you know, just trying to hang on. Right. It was like it was deep spinning. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was good. So I went back to Ireland and obviously went into Belfast and checked out different places and... And you know, in dairy, whatever. No, you're looking for your criminal mates, were you? Well, the little kids, you're trying to see if there's some connection. See if they're in jail. I can, I can imagine. Well, some of them, I'm sure, were dead. <laughs> but um, yeah, right. so seeing there's some connection. So, so, it wasn't so, much of a connection with the family. So, so were it was you just, just were, more you with dro- the were you dropped off at the place, or did you walk to the place? Oh no, I walked to the place. How, how far? How far do you? Oh, you probably walk? from the town. It was just you know because I was just hitchhiking. So if right. any, some people give me lift, I'd sort of hop in the car, and otherwise I'd be walking. And so it was look, sort of nice. So when you go there, is there a statue to Saint Columbus? No, there's an old church. Right. There's an old what, church. Six, 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 seven, seven, no, no, I think the sixth century one's destroyed, right, and there right. might be some of the rocks around from yeah, that. But yeah. there's a sort of a remade one because right. Saint Columba's one of the main saints of the whole Western Scotland and right. Ireland. So yeah. I don't know if you know how people know the Irish history and sort of even the Christian history, but yeah. Ireland always because the Romans never actually got that far. Hadrian's Wall in Ireland, so mm. the Greek logos never was actually penetrated that deeply into the mm. notions of mm. the Christian story there. Right. So they had their own Christian Celtic Christianity. Which which is much That's more right. pagan. Yes. And when you look at people like Meister Eckhart, the sort of German theologians and all those great German thinkers, they were taught by those Irish brothers who were up on the Scottish coast and the Irish coast, but they had a whole other way of thinking and doing and being That's that right. wasn't actually influenced by Roman, that hadn't been destroyed by the empire. Mm. And I like, I know that history, and I'm like, a oh, good. I'm, I identify with that no. gear. That's the stuff for me. Because even when you look back and you go to Marx and you trace him back to Meister Eckhart, his notions of negation, for example, come from Meister Eckhart, Christian mm. mystic. Mm. And you're like, ah, there's a link. Let's get you back follow to it you. Back. Now you're philosophizing. I'm not interested in your okay, philosophy. We, we went back. Let's go back. You're walking up this yes. road. You see the church. Yeah, it's more like down. Down, 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 down on the down. road. So I'm sort of, ooh, there's the church. Yes. Right. How did you feel? Um, well, it's very flat, and there's sort of like these cliffs mm. and whatever. You might see a, you might right. see a badger running around or something. So but what, it's, the, what the landscape kind of constrained your own feelings well and the sort of it's very intense place because right. of the um mm. the the weather and how it's just there's the land is quite flat and then it drops off mm. it's nearly cliff like you mm. can walk down there but it's not easy but mm. then it's sort of quite wild in the right. irish context and right. certainly in terms of wind and whatever it's out of control f- how did you feel i don't want i want to tr- i don't want to travel um, over the landscape okay how did i feel i mean you, this is a pilgrimage you've reached yeah. the end of your pilgrimage yeah, I was, I was looking for something, and I was trying to figure out who am I, what am I doing on this funny old big blue planet, because yeah. uh, I sort of have some idea what I've done, but what am I doing after this? Mm. What am I doing? And so, yeah. Mm. And so in some ways, I sort of met St. Columba. Right. And it was the meeting of, maybe not St. Columba the person, but the land. Mm-hmm. And I'll say the land remembers. So you felt part of the whole... Yeah. 
in terms of the, you know, for all the complexities and contradictions, I was part of that story. And, that you've, story. and, you, and you've carried that with you since you were 28? My name's Colin. Yeah, well, obviously. You've and I'm, if people want to hear it, I'm very happy to tell them about St. Columba. And they're like, oh. what? And it's like, well, Christian or not. It's like, well, it's part of the heritage and part oh. of the background. Yeah. So, well, well, it's all about, what, the 10th or 11th century before the the uh, Roman Catholic Church kind of incorporated well, the Celtic. Well, even 15th in some parts. 15th in some yeah. parts. So if they had a good millennia of basically mm. doing what they wanted. wanted to, yeah. And so they pretty much did their own thing. And I think no. there's a whole, no. and you know, this is where Joyce comes out of. Yeah. Joyce doesn't just sort of spring on. But no, these storytellers are amazing. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. You know, everything has a root and a deep root, and they come from somewhere, and it didn't just sort of spring out of nowhere land. Have you ever and so you've got the genes of your grandfather's storyteller. Well, that's you, what I'm to exploring. Me, to me, you're more of a storyteller. Well, that's exactly. You know, I think what I'm exploring now. I'm not a doctor of politics. But no, yeah. I'm not a. No, nah, I'm, I'm and doing all that theory. It's too abstract, and who cares? Yeah, yeah. No one cares anyway. So you came back. Yes, came back. And uh, what did you do when you came back? Uh, oh, 28. Uh, then I, then a little bit late, then I started getting back into, okay, I was working on building sites and right. I was like, okay, do I really want to do this when I'm 50? And I'm like, mm, nah, yeah. nah, this is not the gig for it? me. Yeah. So I actually had to do a bit of, uh, you know, professional begging and sort of go, can I get back into uni and actually <laughs> you not, not, not a doctoral thesis? <laughs> no, no, this, that, that, that was yeah. t- how I got into the doctorate. So I was uh, sort of just settling and going, okay, the, oh, my dad's good. dead. So, and so yeah. I've got to figure out what I'm doing. And I was sitting in the building sites. I was working at Mount Hotham and I was yeah. like, do I want to do this for the rest of my days? Yeah. And I figured, no, these guys are just, no, it's not my well, scene. Well, Mount Hotham was, would be a little bit like Ireland, wouldn't it? Well, in lot, lots of ways. Yeah. And lots of endangered critters and yeah. it's yeah. a very beautiful place. It is. Yeah, I mean, not more people are paying attention, but I love that. And the wildflowers. Well, I love, I, I love Mount Hotham too. I like to go out in the spring and the summer and, and When those wildflowers crack out, it's like, mm. wow. And the birds yeah. of prey and yeah. the sounds I, and I, especially I, the fog. Yeah, when I mean, you're going to work and the fog yeah. is just like a whole world of fog and it's just you sitting above it. Yeah. I've, I've <laughs> been there on Christmas Day and there's snow. It's just extraordinary. Yeah. It really is an extraordinary place. The last time Very I was there nice. was, was about, I think, January. Yeah, oh, you get there more than I do. Well, you should get there. It's My partner doesn't place. like cold weather, so... Your partner? No. Excuse me, we haven't heard about a partner. When, no. when, when, when did this person come into your life? Oh, that was sort of mid-30s. She's Calabrian from southern Italy. Calabrese. Yeah, Calabrese. Testadura. Uh, well, that's the expression. Yeah. Yeah, Calabrese so testadura. Sort of the margins of Europe meet and be bonkers together. Yeah. <laughs> you know what testadura means? Of course, hard head. Hard head. Of course. Yeah, well, around fits, the Italians. fits with you, doesn't it? Hard head. Of course. The southern Italy, yeah. southern so Italy is not that When did you meet? What year? Uh, 2005. 2005. That's after you finished your doctorate. No, I was just finishing my doctorate off. And you met what? Met at university? No, or? just at a place in 303 Northcote High Street. You remember Just at that? a bar. I was at just like, bar. I was just doing the you know? eight hours of writing a day caper and just, oh, yeah. I have to get out of this house. And I just went drink. there yeah, and yeah. then I met some people I knew and went, oh. And then I met Daniela as well. So I was like, oh, uh, that's pretty weird. Uh, so yeah. It's not an unusual combination of Southern Italian with an Irish no, person. A, it's a very similar it's psyche. A <laughs> very similar psyche. People that have been oppressed, yeah. conquered and survived for fa- hundreds of years. It's, it's an interesting, it's the same type of... And they both have a thing with anger as well and being a bit fiery. <laughs> well, you do, you do need the anger. Well, we, but we both have a bit of, a good dose of that, let's yeah. say. And you've kept together since 2003. Yes, yes. Any, any kids? Or? No, 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 that was not possible. No, that's fine, I won't, won't the, explore The that. creation decided that was not going to happen. Well, the seven billion of us, doesn't exactly. really matter. Exactly, doesn't matter. So, after you finish your doctorate, what did you get into? Not back uh, on the building no, side. No, working in radio. Was doing that in radio? No, well, I was doing freelance work for ABC. I still ended right. up doing. Right. You, said you, I, did, you did, said you did some documentaries. Yes, I did documentaries. Won a Walkley Award, actually. Did you? Yeah, what on my, in 2008, on my work on intergenerational trauma in the north of Ireland. So, intergenerational trauma. Yeah, so I went and explored what that means in a whole mm. lot of contexts. How long were you there for? couple of months. Do people want to talk to you? Yeah, well, I've got the family connections, so I can get, I can get access to anyone. <laughs> and you've got the name, Colin. Well, that, that sometimes is a problem, not a bloody solution, but I got contacts, and I pretty much, because of family or other contacts I had, I could pretty much get access to anyone I wanted, mm. So, and I did. Mm. So, because I was sort of from that world, but not in it, mm. so I had this weird ability to sort of mm. move my way around, where if you come from outside, you don't actually know a certain level, yeah. but... 
I wasn't close enough where I couldn't actually... If you were from there, you can't open your trap. Mm. But I was far enough away to be able to open my trap, but I, close enough well, to be able to know what was going on. People didn't really take it seriously because they knew you were going to go away. And I had an accent like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're like... yeah. Is he one of us? He's Australian. Yeah. What's this crap? It yeah. doesn't sound like he's... Yeah, Irish. Yeah. He's so not that, really that was good. So it sort of worked when yeah. I was interviewing loyalist paramilitaries. Yeah. That went down a treat. Because yeah. I was playing... I was being very Australian. Australian. Yeah. I wasn't, you know, anything... So I wasn't what did you find out about intergenerational trauma? Oh, it's alive and well. <laughs> and functioning very beautifully all over the planet. Oh, well, and just looking at your own tradition, then you can go and look, check it out in others. And well, go that's there. right. It's not just warfare. There's childhood sexual abuse. It just goes on. on the head. Colonialism. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's about all the different ways that manifests. Yeah. But really it was about trying to tell a story which can start holding that. Because mm. maybe what, what, what my suggestion was, how do we start healing that? Mm. And it's not about victory necessarily, but also about how do you start doing that work? Mm. Because I'm very interested in that question of, you know, let's say empire and, you mm. know, the healing dimensions of that, which mm. large ex- Aboriginal community obviously needs to deal with that because they're dealing with it directly in the Abri- in Australian context constantly, as well as various African and other Latin American communities here. But it's a big part of people's lives, and largely people don't talk about it. Yet it's the main game for so many millions of people on the planet. No, oh, it is the main game. Because <laughs> while game. they can't eat, or what's happening, or this or that yeah, or the other, yeah. let's just look at what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> going back to this Walkley, did mm-hmm. you expect to win the Walkley? Nah. No. So what, who, who put it in for you? I think someone suggested maybe put it in. I just right, did. That was my right. first documentary ever. First documentary. Yeah, and you ABC. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. you may as well give it. Oh, you moved on after that, hopefully. I mean, you've got the peak. People yeah. would have been pissed off. People you... came to me and said, look, man, I've been trying to do this for 30 years. You're, yeah. you're a little smart-ass, yeah. and you just do it on your first one. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't, didn't even how, know exactly how, how, what how long, was, how long was the program for? Uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Can people access it on YouTube? Or? Yeah, you can hear it on ABC. It's still on ABC well, now. Tell us, tell us, tell us. It's called Awakening from History, which is obviously a Joycean illusion mm. from mm. Ulysses. Mm. And, um, yeah, and you can hear it on right. ABC. It's still mm. there because it won a Walkley, so they kept it up. Yeah. Do you think you've actually ever, you've done other documentaries? Yes. You think mm. others have been as powerful as that one? That was pretty good because I was an inside. The other one I did that was quite powerful was called La Frontera, which is about the drug wars in the US-Mexico border. Mm. Did you that, go down there? Yeah, I did. How long were you there for? Oh, that was hairy. I can imagine. That's why I'm asking. That, that place called Ciudad Juarez. That's yes. a scary place. That was like more scary than Baghdad and Kabul at the time, uh, 2010, 2011. Could you actually blend in? No. That's what I was I a thought. white guy. You're a bit whitish. Yeah, yeah. you're a gringo. Yeah. Uh, what I did was I went under cover like I was a heroin addict. Oh, right. Because yeah. I wanted... Does anybody I, want to look at your otherwise, otherwise, they're going to think I'm a CIA dude. Yeah, yeah. And I really had to look like I was a scummy dude just going to brothels and trying to get cheap heroin. Uh-huh. Because it was like, I was thinking, how are people going to see me? If yeah. I'm clean cut and look all, yeah. what's he doing here? Yeah, you might have put bull in your <laughs> head like, by the end of the week. So I had, so I just looked scummy and had long hair and whatever, yeah, just because yeah. I didn't want to look like I was, yeah. you know, I don't know what, a journalist. No, I'm not going to do like that. What year was this? <laughs> that was 2009, 2000. I went there a few times. 2009, yeah. 2010. That must have been a pretty rich heroin addict. <laughs> Come in, well, go in. <laughs> but that's it. There wasn't many white dudes hanging around. Yeah. So yeah. That, but that was really doing what I did in mm. my own country, doing but another one. Yeah, but how could you interview people? In Spanish. Yeah, but how? I had enough Spanish to do would, it. Would they, would they talk to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well again, it's about... They weren't being interviewed. It's about your contacts. Right. And I had a contact who was a trade union organizer called Marta Ojeda, mm. and she was just opened the door. So I was talking to people in shanty towns. I was talking mm. to people whose daughters were sort of liquefied in Ciudad mm. Juarez. I was talking to whoever I wanted I could right. get access to. Mm. And so when you saw the media, what was happening, most people were sort of standing outside in El Paso and doing it. But I was... Or they were talking to the police who were mm. narcos. Yeah. And I was actually going around on mm-hmm. the ground to mm-hmm. the different in Nuevo Laredo and all the different hotspots and actually talking to Reynosa, mm-hmm. Suera Juarez and talking to people on the ground, mm-hmm. which journalists from the West weren't generally doing because it was too dangerous. But did but anybody actually uh, twig to what you were doing? And did they come and have a little chat No, there? but No, they didn't, mm-hmm. thankfully. But I, had, I often had, like, not bouncers, but dudes who were, like, my guides. Yeah. And, like, I remember once I was walking, I was at a shanty town and mm-hmm. I was staying with people living in a cardboard box and we were staying with them. Mm-hmm. And there'd been a narco execution over here. They'd do it at the night and they were yeah. praying to certain gods and slitting people's throats. And I went over to have a look at the sign where they left this Santa Muerte, the saint of death. Mm-hmm. And the dude was like, he was in the toilet. He came rushing out, call him, come back, come back. Because if I go and look... And yeah. they see a white guy looking at that, they're mm. going to say, what's going on? And they're going to massacre a whole lot of people. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, oh, fuck, I didn't know that. And mm. he said, just just sit there, man, mm. and don't go anywhere, please. So where did He's going to get all of us killed. And I'm like, okay, I'll just sit here, and yeah. Uh, yeah. we'll just leave the narco boys. 
Because just even a white guy looking at that stuff is enough for all these people to get killed. And I'm like, okay, let's not right. push so, the so says, is, is it all about power or is it about money or both? Well, I actually think it's about the legacies of counterinsurgency in South and Central America, mm. like what's happening in you know Afghanistan, etc. So mm. they, they planted these seeds in Guatemala and Central America, and then they sort of unleashed these guys on the planet. And they said, we can actually work for the, com- com- the government, or fuck it, let's why don't we make the money? And that's how you get the, the Zetas, who right. actually come from the Special Air Force mm. that were trained in Fort Benning mm. in the United mm. States. And so those guys are, you know part of one of the big cartels in terms of the dynamics. So, so, so it's the, is it the same process as the way the uh, Black Panthers were sidelined in the 60s by introducing drugs into a community? Or you well, no, it's a lot more full-on than that because you really what you have is you have, like, basically Mexico is split up so different cartels mm. run the state. So it's a narco state, basically, mm. and they're the mm. sort of ipso facto state. Now that includes, you know, Mexico City, and they're actually a whole other economy. They're actually a whole other world. We're talking about many hundreds of billions of dollars turnover, mm. if not per annum, then mm. certainly. So it's a big, big business. I think um, El Chapo Guzman, you know, the leader of the Sinaloa yep. cartel, was yep. in the top 50 dudes in terms of the richest people on the planet. Mm. So mm. he was only leader of one of the cartels, so and there's so plenty of others. Why is it so ingrained? Well, I think it's also about the sort of collapse of the U.S. state. Sorry, the Mexican state, that was a faux pas, the collapse of the U.S. state, which is coming rapidly. It's about NAFTA and the free trade agreement and what that did to Mexico in terms of making a whole lot of poor people who used to, um, you know, farm in corn unemployed, so they'd go up to the the Mm. big... uh, Bakila Doras yeah. on the border and work yeah. for bugger all. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a, that's another dynamic. Yeah. Just like and then the closure of the commons. Exactly. The enclosures. And then the yeah. sort of, mm. then you have the corruption of the pre and the sort of whole dynamic, Mexican mm. dynamic of the, mm. the Mexican revolution and how it sort of transmogrified or then became so corrupt. And because yeah. really mm. the narcos for a long time, the government were running the narcos, but what's happened in the last, say, 10 years uh, after Calderon's war mm. on drugs is the narcos now run the government. So what's happened to the role of the church in Mexico? Are they, are they no. a stabilising force or are they no. being corrupted? They're corrupted too. Mm. So they're in all sorts of... So you don't, you don't see any hope? Uh, no, I see hope, and it's largely where I saw hope really was women. Mm. women fighting back because at the forefront of those social struggles and nearly, whether it's trade union or whatever it is anything mm. amazing happening in Mexico possibly because the guys have been murdered but mm. you know women were at the forefront of fighting back in so many different like ways indigenous, many indigenous communities I mean women were the hope of the world there's no two ways mm. about it so is, is, that docu- is that documentary on, on, uh, on YouTube can people access it? yes that? So what's it called? La Frontera. La Frontera. Actually, I'll quote Mao, because when I actually won the award, I think I won a UN Peace Award for it, mm. and I quoted Mao and said, uh, Mao said that women hold up half the sky, and my quote was, and he's half right. <laughs> I think uh, they hold up the whole sky. Right. So are you still doing documentaries? No. Now, I, now I'm much more prosaic and boring. I teach literature. <laughs> so when did you stop doing documentaries? Uh, I went and did some work in Bali around right. the massacres of 65. Oh, you wouldn't have been very welcome there. No, and I did, some, I did a whole lot of recordings and spent a week with people and getting mm. interviews and whatever. Yeah. And what happened was it started affecting me. Exactly. Like, you can look, like Nietzsche said, you can look into the abyss, but after a while the abyss starts looking into you. And I was just yeah. like, no, I can't yeah. keep doing yeah. this yeah. war zone, right. ultra-violence thing. And, yeah. you know, You've got 60,000 dead in a little island of two and a half million. Exactly. And it's like, and you go to these places and literally the recorder wouldn't, you record and then it wouldn't work. And I don't know if you call it ghosts. And some people say that's all bullshit. But there was definitely some spirits and it was definitely some bad shit. And I was hearing music, Balinese music, and I was having flashbacks and freaking out and just going, oh, this is What year was this? Oh, this was like three or four years ago. So you just stopped. And I stopped. And also it wouldn't be very lucrative doing documentaries. No, no. You can have all the awards in the world, but there's not much. Cash, well, you, it's so hard to get a job in ABC, and also because when I was I was on the cusp and I was going for jobs, yeah. but then there was this whole thing. Right, we're gonna the libs got in. They just were going to smash the ABC, yes, so, and yeah. of course they're going to get RN first because you know they're producing yeah. docos like that. Yeah, right, <laughs> let's right. get let's get some more Andrew Bolt in there and get rid of those lefties making these bloody stories about yeah. whatever. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. But, but so then the big cuts happened to the ABC, so I was like, ah, bummer. So you were basically, what, outside the ABC? Or yeah, I was outside, and I was in a little bit here and there, but I right. didn't actually get my little mitts on a job. job right. So mm-hmm. I was well, in the running there for a while. Maybe you were lucky. Yeah, maybe, because, you know, 
Maybe it's, you would have been compromised by now. Well, exactly. So anyway, yeah. so but t- like, I trust the process, and that oh. was good. So I had a great time for about five years making or seven years making docos and doing what I want. Oh, so it was pretty good. I was pretty lucky. Well, no, you weren't lucky. You worked hard. Let's, yeah, let's be but, realistic. But it was People great. think you. No, no. But being no, able no. to do what you want is pretty yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> even, it is even good. for ten minutes of yeah, a day, yeah, let alone well, big well, chunks column, of your life. Column, you're not lucky. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people try. You know, they they want to. You know, they don't want to be rewarded for what they said, but. You're not lucky. You've worked hard to do that. Yeah. I mean, to be in those situations and get the material and then put it in a presentable form that people yeah. understand. I don't think people understand how much hard work that's involved. You said you're teaching literature. What are you yes. teaching literature? Trin- Monash? No. no, Trinity at Melbourne Uni. Trinity. If that's the, so the first so what's time, Trinity at Melbourne Uni? Oh, it's a place for largely, it's foundation studies for Asian students to get right. into Melbourne Uni, so. Right, so big, it's a big pre, business. Big business. Big business. You're teaching literature. Yes. It's a little bit like working on a construction site. You're well, thinking, it's a thinking, variation on the thought and the form. <laughs> but I'm trying to do that and write and a few other things I'm what trying to get write? up to. What As in mean? novels. Novels. Well, novel, yeah, that's part of what I'm doing now, writing. Have you uh, done any much writing? Oh, I've done a bit, and I'm sort of still like working on some stories as we speak. So, mm-hmm. what from your imagination, your experience, yeah. or both? No, not so much my experience, but more my imagination and where we can go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think there is a future for the novel? Uh, yes, uh, but it's going to be fairly confronting, let's say, because the sort of themes and stuff I play with are usually a bit. You know, people often wince and yeah. go, oh, my God. Because <laughs> well. I'm interested in these questions of death. I'm interested right. in the land remembering. I'm interested in, yeah, transformation at that sort of coal face, let's say, of well, empire. Transformation is interesting, isn't it? It's important. Yes. Because we're not what we're born. No. We're, we're what we make ourselves, despite yeah. all the things, all the, all the burdens we face. Exactly. So that cli-fi, let's say. Uh, the, the, the concept of human transformation always interests me because people say, oh, you can't change anything, you can't change oh, human no. nature. It's a lot of bullshit. No, of course you can. People change all the time. No. Have you got any plans for the future? Apart um, from this great novel. Okay. Well, the other thing I'm actually getting into at the moment is trying to set up some what I'll call resilience and wellness centres. That's what I want to do. That's my sort of that, priority. But everybody's doing that. Oh. Well, not in the sense what resilience in terms of climate change. In climate change. In terms of climate change and wellness in terms what, of climate you want change. To get us to wear bigger hats. No, but in, in terms of actually, I don't think we're really dealing with because a lot of say the climate change movement is trying to deal with oh well, we can stop this or that. Yeah. But I think we're now looking deeply in the eyes and we mm. need to go okay now what are we going to do mm. when it does hit? So we should all go down to Cooper P and dig ditch. Well, you know? so let's say we, we the idea being let's say we know we're we're living in New Orleans and we know that two or three years away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Super coming. Yep. What do you do? How do you create the communities, the people that are resilient enough to be able to deal with things like that? Mm. Now, I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, that's not really good. And it's like, but I don't know. We need to start doing that work, I think. Sort of soonish rather than laterish. So you think, <laughs> the, you think the four horsemen of the apocalypse are here? No, well, the way I'm framing it is that relationship between healing mm. and storytelling mm. and linking that in terms of how we tell the stories and how we build the storytelling communities that can actually hold whatever mm. it is we mm. need to do. So it's not just the, you know, the permaculture mm. or the, mm. the actual survival, but how we build the stories that can actually hold communities in mm. that process and mm. build the stories that can actually hold us. Mm. And that's what I'm really interested in. Now, if people want to pursue this conversation further did you have a website or no I don't you don't no I'm very prosaic and yeah. 1970s technologies yeah, I'm pretty boring my wife always laughs at me I'm so yeah. old and well no useless. that's alright that's fine that's <laughs> fine well you've heard Colin McNaughton here on 3CR Radical Australia thank you very much for coming in thank it was you it a pleasure talking with thanks you thanks for your great questions too oh that's my job, mate. I get paid heaps for it. You know. Yeah, paid heaps. Great. Heaps at 3CR. We get paid heaps and Coming heaps and heaps. In kudos. In kudos. Yeah. So, uh, look, uh, I hope it wasn't too difficult. But was uh, you've had an extraordinary life, and I hope you have another extraordinary 40 years, and I hope your Calabrian relationship continues despite yes. the volatility. Thank you very much. Uh, all the best, and thank you very much for coming on Radical okay. Australia. Thank you.
the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows the captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling. Everybody talking to their pockets. Everybody wants a box of chocolate and a long stem rose. Everybody knows. Everybody knows that you love me, baby. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows you've been discreet, but there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes. And everybody knows. Do you need mental health support from people who have been there? Wellways Helpline is a free and confidential service providing mental health information. 